Okay, good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Indeed. Glad to see everyone here this morning. And uh, all these happy, highly spiritual, good-looking Christian people gathered here in our midst. Great, wonderful. And we're going to continue here this morning to... um, Take a look, we've been, uh, over the last little while, we've been digging into Proverbs, as you know, and obviously that was kind of the occasion for kind of pulling, pulling that tune out and blow, blowing the dust off a little bit, something that we haven't done for a while, but that was kind of fun. And uh, so Proverbs has been our, our focus. Timeless advice from the wisest man, according to the Bible, who ever lived. Proverbs is timeless advice from the wisest man who ever lived. And let's see, we've got... I'm, I, I'm picking up this week where I left off last week because last week we kind of had a short service because uh, Bernard Wokeway was here with us. And so uh, we'll p- pick it back up. And uh, so the title is Principles, or the, kind of the general theme here is, and where we'll be for the next little while, Principles from Proverbs. There are in the book of Proverbs some long speeches from fathers to son. Um, that's really what the first 10 chapters is all about, just 10 different speeches from a father to a son. But then you get into chapters um, 10 through 30, and uh, chapters 10 through 30, there are a lot of kind of short one-liners or two-liners, little pieces of advice that if understood and applied, and, and are like they're capable of being remembered, and they were really the source book of all wisdom for Hebrew people. All young Hebrew men, um, Jewish men, had to um, pretty much memorize that. Also, pretty much memorize Psalm 119. How'd you like that for an assignment? All 176 verses of it, right? Because it was kind of a, a Hebrew primer. It was all the letters of the alphabet and then a, bu- a bunch of verses, kind of like the New England primer of your verse. Anyway, so all these things were essential in the formation of the character of a young Hebrew, particularly a young man, young woman as well. Um, So we're looking at principles from Proverbs. And uh, our title this morning is Understanding. Bless you. Understanding the power of words. This is is such a practical subject. Because there isn't, I'm sure, anybody in this room that hasn't had issues with communication with somebody or lack of communication with somebody or bad communication with somebody or somebody perhaps who spoke something to you could have been spoken a long, long time ago, but it could still be that wound, it could still be that hurt. We've all been hurt by words, and what God wants us to learn is how to use words. How to, actually a little later on, we'll, we'll see that Jesus really talks about employing, and words that are employed or words that are unemployed. So we're gonna look at today understanding the power of our words, and uh, let's go through these uh, first two slides. Uh, because we've been, we've been kind of committing this to memory. I don't know if you got it na- nailed down, but I want you to stand together with me and we will quote this together. Oh, and I have to, uh, I got an announcement here with this too. Okay, are you ready? These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, 
just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge, and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Lord God, we come before you this morning thankful for this place, thankful, happy to be together, grateful to, uh, to be able to hear your word spoken into our, our lives and into our spirit again, we pray this morning. And uh, so, Lord, we just ask that you, you bring forth your thoughts, you bring forth your heart, you bring forth your intentions, O oh God, for what you want to accomplish by um, our time spent in study and, in, uh, and just in listening, hearing, and being admonished and instructed by your word. So bless this time, we pray, O oh Lord God, may every heart be spoken to. We pray that no one will leave the same way that they came, but all hearts will be lifted, encouraged, or corrected, or reproved, or instructed in righteousness, or whatever it is that you need to do here this morning, that this work that has begun uh, in us will continue until the day of our Lord Jesus. So bless our time together, we pray now, in Jesus' name, and for his sake, and everybody said? Amen. All right, have a seat. Okay, so having uh, been in this book of Proverbs for a while, studying through it, reading through it, and looking for all of the verses uh, that either refer to the vices or the virtues of the tongue, I have identified that there are 149 verses in the book of Proverbs alone in which speak or address the use of our tongue and the misuse of our tongue. Now that breaks down to about 16% of the book of Proverbs. So 16% of the book of wisdom is oriented to how to speak or not to speak how to use words or not to use them, and that's, that's a fairly high percentage for one topic. There's another one that we'll take on probably in a couple, of weeks, a couple of weeks from now will be money. Proverbs has a lot to say about money and saving and honoring the Lord with your substance and all of this, really, a lot of really important little, again, little short little one and two liners in there, but they just, they're, they're capable of giving us sound uh, instruction. So, um, 16% of Proverbs is recorded to speech alone, and that doesn't even include all the verses uh, that, that just make more subtle distinctions uh, with, with uh, our, our use and misuse of the tongue. So this morning I want to take a look at what Proverbs has to say about the way that we use our words and the way that we use our tongue. There's, there, there is one gigantic lesson that everyone should, one kind of like gigantic unspoken lesson that everyone should know instinctively, but we all seem to not get. And that is, God has created every one of us with two eyes, two ears, one tongue, one mouth. What, what should I learn from that, oh Freedom Church? Right, that I ought to see and hear twice as much as I say, right? Otherwise, you'd give me two mouths, but that really would have been, that would have been fun. So, two eyes, two ears, one tongue, the lesson we should hear and we should see a whole lot more than we should speak. <clears throat> so here's the verse that we uh, brought up last week, and it really speaks to the, uh, the significance of how powerful words really are. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. 
This is an extraordinary statement regarding an extraordinary ability that God has given to us as human beings. One that we, I think, pretty much take for granted and often misuse because we, we just fail to understand what an incredible gift God has given to us in the ability for us to talk to each other to communicate with one another. I was telling you the story about Henry Van Dyke's poem Vera last week, and in the poem Vera is this deaf girl, and she's, as she observes the world, she sees everything that just looks wonderful. She sees mouths moving, she sees instruments are being played, and people are kind of corresponding, but she can't hear any of it. And then, so she goes and she seeks from the master the gift of hearing, and he gives it to her, and all of a sudden she realizes, wow, it's just not all, it's not all nice out there. There's a lot of falsehood. There's a lot of deception. And realizes that the whole, this whole gift that she wanted so badly is badly contaminated and badly polluted. And that's really very true about the way we use language, isn't it? I mean, just think of how language is used in your office on, you know, around your block, people you know, um, you know among the guys, and, and hey, these days, among the ladies, too. A lot of rough kind of coarse talking goes on all over the place, right? So we, um, we easily fail to understand what kind of a gift this is that God has given to us. Now, here's the ultimate example of the power of this particular gift. It is found here. In the beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, that's how it all gets kicked into, into gear. Uh, that, that phrase, and God said, I think comes up about like 12 times in the first chapter of Genesis. And it is, <clears throat> it is pointing to this extraordinary ability that God has to create things simply by speaking them into existence. Here we have this um, phrase, the earth <clears throat> in this passage is without form and void. Other translations describe it as formless and empty, formless and desolate, a shapeless, chaotic mass. Okay, that is another, another way that this, um, this is translated. The actual word for that, Hebrew word, is tohu vabohu, weird little sounding word. The earth, <clears throat> and the earth was tohu vabohu. It was formless and void and desolate and chaotic and wasted. Well, the picture that we have is of a, earth, of, of a planet submerged completely in water, right, which is desolate. There is no life there at all. There's no light there at all. It is just this black picture of a dark, desolate planet, and in comes the Spirit of God to hover over <clears throat> the, um, the waters, right? And then that's where this verse ends up, and God said... Let there be light. And immediately there was light. Now this is not the light of the sun because the sun, according to Genesis chapter one, doesn't come into the picture until the fourth day. So this is some kind of light. This is spiritual light, I believe. Okay, but it's just, it's, it's that God is speaking over his world. He is he's looking at the chaotic world. Now, <clears throat> the term po, uh, um, tohu vabohu is used, I think, in three other places in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Isaiah 45, Jer- um, yeah, Jeremiah chapter 4, <clears throat> and one other doesn't, doesn't come to mind. The location doesn't come to mind. 
But in every one of those cases, that word is used to describe an act of catastrophic judgment that came down from God. In Isaiah chapter 45, it's, uh, or in, 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 um, in uh, Jeremiah chapter four, Jeremiah is describing the judgment that fell on Edom, the destruction that came to Edom, and he says it was tohu vabo, it was something that God um, deliberately brought upon those people because of their waywardness, their wickedness. Same thing for Jerusalem. There was, there, there was it is spoken, tohu vabohu is spoken over Jerusalem when God was ready to send punishment to those people to, to bring them back to him. And so this, this term comes up and it always means a disaster. So. If, if that's now, now that has generated this big controversy in the church world. Um, it has kind of divided people who believe that the earth is very young, maybe six to eight thousand years, that the whole universe is very young. There are there is a whole school of people within Christianity who believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that the earth is no more than eight thousand, that the entire universe, that God's all the work of creation happened um, within the last eight thousand years. <clears throat> I myself am not a subscriber to that, that view, but I've listened to it. The people who teach it, great people, strong people, godly people, wonderful people. So it's not as though someone who would believe that um, would be, let's say, spiritually or, or biblically errant, but it, it is just a conviction that people have based upon the text of Scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me, then of course, the scientific community tells us that the, uh, the, the universe itself is somewhere around 13.4 billion years old. A little bit of a discrepancy here, 13.4 billion or 8,000. And I, for, for myself, I don't, I don't really trouble myself over this all that much because w- whether it was made 8,000 years ago or whether it's 3.4 billion uh, doesn't affect me a whole lot. I'm just trying to get through the next, uh, next few years here and we're, we're good to go. <clears throat> so anyway, um, when God is looking down over this tohu vabohu planet, this formless, empty, desolate planet, okay, what is his response to it? He speaks over it. He sees the chaos. He sees the disorder. And when he speaks over it, he begins to, by his spoken word, he begins to bring order back into it. And the, the, the first chapter of Genesis is the record of that order as God speaks Um, light into the universe and God speaks a separation between two layers of waters, waters that are going to be on the planet and waters that are above the atmosphere. That's a whole other interesting story. And then, uh, you know, he speaks plants and animals and God speaks the whole thing on planet earth and then every time he speaks it, he looks it over and he says, it's good, it's good. And then finally he speaks humanity into existence and he rolls up a little ball of mud and uh, that turns out to be Adam and then Eve comes along not too long thereafter. And so the whole, the whole uh, process is orchestrated by God speaking his word. And that is the ex- there's, there's an example in all of that <clears throat> that when God speaks, order emerges out of the, the chaotic church. Even, even um, in John's gospel, uh, our Lord himself is identified as the word, the logos, the expression. That word logos <clears throat> is one of the richest words in the ancient Greek world because the Greeks, particularly the Greek philosophers, used that word to describe the thing that they had been looking desperately for and could never find. 
It was the explanation, it was the word, it was the meaning. The Logos was the thing that tied everything together. They knew about the many, in other words, all the different particulars that the world is, all the animals, all the plants, all the things, all the stuff. But what is it that ties them together? Is there some unifying thing? That, for the Greek mind, was the Logos. And they they were looking for it, and they had never find it, and then along comes the Apostle John. And he says, guess what? I found the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning, the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. All things were created by the Logos. Without the Logos, nothing was made that has been made. So in other words, John identifies Jesus to the entire, particularly the Greek world, because he's writing in Greek, as the, this is the one you've been looking for. This is the one that brings meaning. This is the one that brings understanding. This is the one that brings integrity. He's in the middle, he's the hub. All the other stuff is just stuff connected by a, a variety of different spokes. But Jesus is the Logos, he's the word, he's the meaning. And so this, and, and even when, um, I won't go there yet, and so when God looks down at the chaos, he looks at the, the chaotic earth, he begins to speak over it. He doesn't send angels down there. He doesn't you know, give a command to a group of angels to go over there, start building something over there, start planting some trees over there. No, he just simply speaks over it and it happens. So we as human beings, because we have been created in the image and likeness of God, that image and likeness of God is manifested in the fact that we, ha- we can reason, we can think, and then more importantly, not only can we, can we reason and think, we can express, we can speak, and, and we have some degree of ability like God has to speak order into the chaos. How many have ever had chaos in your life? Okay, we all will, right? And many times what will happen, I'll start complaining, I'll start fretting, start worrying, be fearful, something like that, right? We will talk negativity into the situation, speak our, our, our concerns over the thing. And it can just kind of break down into grumbling and complaining and just a bad attitude, amen? Right, it happens easily, especially when times get really tough. But what God wants us to do is to be able to speak order into the chaos of our lives. Could be a relationship, could be an issue, could be a situation, it could be a mountain. We'll take a look at what Jesus has to say. It could be a mountain that you're looking at, but notice what Jesus said, and probably somebody here this morning is facing a mountain, metaphorically. You are facing a challenge. You're facing an obstacle. You don't know how you're going to get over this thing. You can't, you can't see yourself getting over, under, around, or through this because this is just an obstacle formidably in your way that you can't seem to move out. But notice what Jesus says. And this is an interesting verse and challenging in terms of its application. But Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus is saying, when you are looking at the situation that is impossible, the mountain that's unmovable, the force that is unassailable, when when something like that comes into life, the thing that is most necessary to start with 
is to speak victory over the thing. To speak victory over the, in other words, rather than fall into the pattern of being fearful and being worried, it doesn't help. It just rehearses the negativity of the whole thing. And besides our God, there is nothing that is impossible for him. Um, so there should be nothing that will be impossible for us as we call upon him. Amen? Now I get it. I get it. This is a weird verse. Uh, how many have ever told a mountain to move and it didn't? Okay, good. Right? So we've all been down that road. There, there are times when uh, God is not persuaded to move the mountain that I've asked him to move. Okay? It happens. Or there are also times when, it, when it's just something that you have to keep speaking at and keep speaking at and not give in to that oppressing, oppressive feeling, but you keep speaking at that thing. You mountain, you will come down, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, right? According to Old Testament Zechariah. So <clears throat> Jesus says, <clears throat> if you say to the mountain, move from here to there, it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now this uh, brings to mind, I'm glad Pastor Joe is with us here this morning, because Pastor Joe has told you that he's from the Word of Faith camp. This is true, right, Pastor Joe? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how much understanding you have of the Word of Faith camp. It was kind of something that kind of grew down in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, became kind of a, a movement down in that way, and then basically spread out um, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, people like that. They, these were kind of like the founders, the fathers of that particular movement. Now, I don't have an ax to grind or a beef with the, um, with the um, word of faith movement, but I do think oh, in my 40 years of being Christian, I've just seen it abused. So that people will, well, you, again, phrases like name it, claim it come up, as if you can just by saying it, bang, you're just going to have it. And I, I, I just don't believe that. But I do believe that when we begin to speak at something, there is a power in us that is like the power that is in God. God can do exactly what he wants to do immediately with his own word. So his own word has that kind of creative power, but so does yours. So does mine. It is so important <clears throat> that, we, that we use our words, that we use our words creatively <clears throat> and constructively. So I, it has seemed to me over the years that some of the word of faith people have kind of pushed the, uh, the concept uh, beyond its proper in, interpretation, but um, I can't necessarily like have instantaneous things by speaking them into existence. I can't do that. But I can speak at the way that I look at a, a chaotic or problematic or troublesome situation, and I can speak health to it. Man, that is, uh, we're not going to get even far enough this morning, but it, the, the scripture says, Proverbs says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. We just sat on the phone, and th this is kind of a regular thing for me, because people call, and they, they're they call, they don't call to tell me all the good things that are going on. 
And I'm just, I'm not trying to get you, but I'm just saying I get I get the call when you know life goes south when things get a little crazy, and and so a lot of times it's a, you know it's a it, it's a lengthy conversation on the phone, and it's real easy just to kind of get dragged into the pity party, and feel bad and feel sorry. You know, I'm sorry you're going through all this stuff, rather than to speak life and hope and optimism and faith, faith at the thing, to trust God. <clears throat> Not faith that I'm going to get my new Rolex or like faith that the God who gave everything to save me is for me. He will not forsake me. And if I trust him, he will not fail me. Amen. He will not fail me. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> so anyway, with that in mind, <clears throat> Jesus says this. <clears throat> Oh, nuts. Do I not have that? Well, Jesus says this. Um, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And that word careless in there is a very significant Greek word. It's argos. Argos, and the, it <clears throat> comes from two words, ah and ergon. Ah means not, and ergon means work. Not working, okay? Argos means it doesn't work, and the idea behind that Greek word, it is a word that is not being used properly in its function. It is, it is not being employed, all right, now Jesus says men will give an account for every idle word, every unemployed word. I've more, more, uh, <clears throat> more uh, synonyms. Where are we? <clears throat> yeah, every unpurposed, every undirected, not employed word. That's what an argos is. Um, and what the Lord, I believe, wants us to pick up out of that statement is that we are to... We, our words have immense capability to bring forth good or to bring forth bad. They have immense capability to bring forth life and to improve a situation. They have immense capability to be negative and bring forth death and destruction, or they have the capacity to be utterly worthless. How many worthless words get spoken on a given day. I think the average is like we, we speak 16,000 words a day. How many of those words are what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is recommending to take those words and, and to employ them, right? To put them to use, to choose the right words. And the best way that you can employ the right words is to get scripture in your head so that when you have scripture in your head, thoughts of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. So we are able to think on a whole higher plane because we can think God's thoughts and then the Spirit of God can bring those thoughts back in and we can look at the chaos, look at the problem, look at the mountain, look at the difficulty and say, you will not defeat me. God will work all things together for good. For me, because I love God and I'm one of the called according to his purpose. Amen? And so it's a matter of looking at that catastrophe, looking at the chaos, looking at the problem, looking at the trouble, and not, not falling into using negative words about it, which will only just increase the problem. And again, I'm, 
Again, I, I, I'm, I'm a, like a balanced guy all the time. I'm always looking like if something, something seems like it's, it's, that's kind of what I'm saying about the, the word of faith thing. You know, to me, there was like there was a lot of unbalance in that thing. And so I just kind of felt like I, I believe in the core of it. I believe in the root. I believe that we can speak to things and must, must speak to things. And when we do speak to things, it is actually in a creative sense. So we can begin to speak health. We can begin to speak healing over the thing so that God can begin to work it. God can begin to change it. But as God started his whole project with a chaotic, formless, empty, wasted planet covered in water and um, having at that time no useful function, he began to speak over the top of it and it began to produce the the results that he had in mind to do. You and I can do something similar. So we have, let me see, how can, I have a lot of stuff yet. <clears throat> I, I think we'll probably have to, we'll have to get, bring it this far. But it's important to remember that words matter, words can kill, words can um, give life. So how, how are we supposed to speak? Well, here, there are four things and I'll cover them next week when I speak, but there's four of them. We should speak healing. Like I said the last, a couple of nights ago, Lorraine and I, somebody called and Lorraine and I were talking and we're kind of like, we're, we're kind of eyeballing each other and kind of encouraging each other and throwing some ideas out. Because the person we were talking to was hurting. And oftentimes the people that call are hurting or going through something that's rough and, and, and you want to help. And we don't want to get on the pity pot, but we want to speak words. And by, by knowing principles of scripture, Let's say for in, in the situation that we were speaking the other night, there was a situation where there was an authority issue and it wasn't functioning properly. There, there was a person who was not responding to a, a, a God-ordained authority person in their life and that really was kind of down underneath. There was a problem in that. And the person had not really connected their difficulty with that disconnect of, of, of an authority situation out of order. But because we knew the word of God and understand how God uses authority and how authority, when it is used properly, is a source of protection and guidance and direction, all good things come out of authority when it is used in a Jesus way. When the thought, Jesus says, you know, how, you know how the Gentiles use authority. They just use authority to, have, to lord over one another. But it's not to be that way among you. Whoever wants to be great among you, he must become the servant. It's servant-oriented uh, servant authority that is correct. That's Jesus' authority. It is the kind of, anyway, so, but to know that meant that we could speak into a problem that the person themselves didn't really even see, and then in time they made the connection, so we were able to speak some life over that thing. And am I right, Lorraine? The, the, the entire mood lifted. You know, people call and it's so, so fearful, so worried, so, or so angry, or so broken, or so beat up, or what? But if we can speak life back to them. I often, here's one, here's one, the, one of the great Principles discovered by Pastor Steve over the years, okay? And we'll just do it quick. I wasn't even thinking uh, to do this. But in terms of marriage, right? And you have, you have something going on in marriage. And I, I, a little squabble is happening or something like that. Or um, if my wife is feeling anxious or frustrated about something, whatever it may happen to be. Now, she's probably going to want to come and she's probably going to want to tell me about this. And 
if it goes like it normally goes, it will kind of seem like, what are you laying this on me for? Right? There's like, she's anxious about something, and she is taking her anxieties and handing them to me. Here, dear. (laughs) Now, what is my natural response? I feel put upon. I feel somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's dumping their junk on me. Not really. I'm I'm telling you all this because we've learned better than this. But what I found um, was illustrated in the movie Saving Private Ryan. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, um, at one point they are dispatched. Hanks and, and all the guys are dispatched to go out to look for this fourth Ryan brother that, um, that they're, want, they're wanting to send home because his other brothers have all been killed. And so they're out, on the, they're out on the patrol and they start griping. They start talking to, to one another and they're beefing. Well, how come we have to go out here? What about, what about our lives? Our lives are important. You know what I mean? So all this, all this banter is going on. And they're, they're all kind of complaining and arguing to one another. And so finally somebody says to Tom Hanks in the movie, says, uh, hey, Captain, he says, do you ever complain? He says, yeah, I complain. He says, who do you complain to? He says, when I complain, I complain to my commanding officer. He says, really, what would you say? I said, if, he said, if I was to stand befi- be- before my commanding officer right now, I would say, sir, I thank you for putting me on this mission. I am so grateful to be a part of this mission, and I'm going to do everything possible for this mission to be 100% successful. I am totally happy being on this mission. In other words, he said, if I could complain, I wouldn't complain. But he goes on to say this, in the Army, gripes go up. And I realized, in a marriage Grapes go up. And so I have to be willing to hear. I have, my, my wife has to deposit her, her anxieties somewhere. So I don't want her calling up Jamie here, you know. And, and so when she comes again, my, my, the tendency is to react. But if I, can, if I fail to react and absorb, okay, I have now offloaded all of that stuff and then just speak back into it faith. Speak back into it, hope. Speak back into it, life. That's the way it works, because normally, again, we get all prickly, and we get all uh, reactive, and then the whole thing begins to unravel and explode, and a lot of problems happen that way. But every time I remember, hey, Steve, shut up. You know, that's a, that's a, that is a big um, truth that is found in the book of Proverbs. We'll, we'll get to shut up. That's, that's big in there, so we'll get to that sometime shortly. But being able to just absorb those anxieties, I'm not sure, I, I hope no one's thinking my wife is this highly agitated and anxious person that I'm always <laughs> having to settle her down, and she can be uh, pretty much, she can be a Hurricane Lorraine for sure, but not most of the time. I gotta quit, we gotta quit. Anyway, using words, the whole point of that is to speak back life. Many times people are coming because they're, they're overwhelmed, and they don't know what to do with their overwhelmed feelings. They don't know where to take them. They don't, they don't, they don't know much about prayer. If they know anything about prayer or finding any kind of comfort in, in that setting, so they're looking to talk to somebody. This is what therapists do if they're good. There are good therapists. There are good people out there that really help people that are just overwhelmed with troubles and anxieties or feelings or things that have been you know, along their way, and they help people to kind of find the center again. So we'll talk a little bit more in the a little while from now about those words and using those words because life and death is in the power of the tongue and he that is wise will eat the fruits thereof. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. You point out 
so many things to correct us and, and protect us from falling into some dumb thing, some wrong thing, some foolish thing. We are grateful for the presence of your spirit and the power of your word to speak order into our formerly chaotic lives. Probably most of us, when we came to you, should have had a big out of order sign somewhere on, wearing it somewhere, life was so beat up or endangered. But we thank you that you gathered us in lovingly if any man lacks wisdom, he is only to ask of God who will give to all men liberally without finding fault. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. Lord, you have generously spoken over the chaos of our lives. Or you're speaking that over lives right here, right now, today. That there are folks who are just trying to struggle their way through. Many times the only answer, the only thing that helps is let go and let go. Let go say thank you, tell God you're trusting him, and let him work. And, and expect that he is working on your behalf. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for walking us through this world, which has plenty of danger, and plenty of trouble, and plenty of stress, and plenty of anxiety. But in you, your word says that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. We thank you that we can trust you and we thank you even more that you are trustworthy. So bless us, O oh Lord God, and help us to remember to use those words in ways that are creative and constructive to help and not to hurt, to lift up, to bind up, and not to break down. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>